0: Very much. Uh, we, uh, we call Bruce to make, make it easier. <laughs> it's St. Luke's and uh, St. Matthew's. Um, I just want to say that today's reading is one of the little letters, and um, it's uh, depending on where you come from. Uh, don't take a notice of Cezanne, he wants to call Philemon. Uh, we normally would say Philemon. So that's what we're reading today a whole book of the Bible. So it's on page one two o two in the church Bibles. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us um, in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, I'm sure the devil predicted correct my pronunciation if that's wrong, Um, and he became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, uh, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so did Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit the word of the Lord.
1: To everybody and Happy New Year and welcome to all the visitors today. It's nice to have so many people here. I was trying to think what I love about living in Manly in the summer and I think it's... What I'm thankful for is that I've lived... I've lived other places but most of my life around here, and isn't it amazing to be near the beach in the summer? What a blessing. So I was nearly going to get, I don't know who was here at Christmas, and Pete did a little singing. Did some of you remember Pete singing? And I was going to get him up to sing that song, you know, you say tomato and I say tomato, potato, potato. But the end of that song is what? Let's call the whole thing off. I don't want to call the whole thing off about the pronunciation of something. And so we're doing these four uh, letters and I am hesitant to even say it. So I went and did some work on, well, how should we pronounce that? Is there a good pronunciation? Because I don't want to call the whole thing off after they disagreed up here, two staff members disagreeing over how to say something. It was ugly. And I thought to myself, how do you say it? And I looked it up and there are so many ways to say it. I even listened to sound files. I listened to people reading the scripture when English is their second language. I listened to foreign language uh, one side here, how do they say it? And the two most common are Philemon and Philemon. And the others I can't even say. And do you know that having done all this research, I find now that I am now bilingual. I'm now saying Philemon and Philemon. And I don't even know what I'm going to say because I'm just thinking it now. So what I think is that however you heard it, that's probably what you think is the right way to say it. And you just go for that, no judgement. So, are you good with all that? And on to more serious matters? Or I should say it matters of more significance because I certainly don't want to be talking about something that might be the end of everybody. So as I said, the letters that we're looking at, they're shorter, they're little, but the wisdom and instruction that they contain is lasting. It's relevant today, as today as it was then, all these letters have stuff that's relevant. But not just then, there are things in these letters, even though they're only letters, that will last into eternity. I don't know how many of you listened to Andrew's message last week, but if you have the opportunity, go back and listen to it. He painted the most beautiful picture of the future that God has planned for us. He described eternity. That future when Jesus comes again, there's a new heaven and there's a new earth, there's joy, there's the presence of God, no more pain, no chaos no tears no death it's an amazing picture and he asked this question at some point will i live like this world that i'm in as all there is if i've got that world waiting for me How am I gonna live in this world? And I thought, well, I don't want to live like this world is all there is. I don't want to do that. But sometimes in the middle of the chaos and in the middle of the pain and the challenges of this world, I'm not quite sure how to live for the next world. I don't know how to bring that into the present, even though I'm told I'm the first fruits of it and that I should be able to do that quite well. I don't know how to live in the future hope in this world where there is just so much going on. How do I experience that in the present? Well, the good news is that these little letters are actually almost how-tos. They give us some of the lasting how-tos that we lead to live in the chaos and in the pain of broken relationships. All of that that we see now, how do we do it? These letters have some ways to do that, and it does, in fact, reflect that future hope and bring a taste of that future hope into the present. So I'm going to give you an overview of the letter. I spoke to someone at eight o'clock who had never read it and had never even heard of it. And so because it only takes that one page, it's very possible that you haven't. So this is a letter. It's written, as so many of the books in the Bible are, but it's a very short letter by Paul, and it was written around 60 AD. He sends the letter. He's a prisoner when he sends the letter, under house arrest in Rome. He had visited Colossae, and that's where Philemon lives. He lives in Colossae, and I've got there how far. It would have taken six to three months, depending on what journey you did to get there. So it's a long way away, and he knows Philemon quite well, and he considers him a partner in the gospel, a brother. And it's written to Philemon, he was a wealthy leader in the Colossian church. And verse four to seven tells us, he was known for his faith and love in the Lord Jesus and his service to the Lord people. So he was a Christian man well known in the community. And it's written about Onesimus, who was a runaway servant, a runaway slave, verse 17 tells us. And he'd met Paul and at some stage, he had become a Christian. And he had been mentored at some stage with Paul and was with him at this time. And we also see from verse 18 that it was very possible that his running away, not only did he run away as a slave, but it's possible that that was costly for Philemon in some way that we don't, we're not really sure of from the text. And the point of the letter is that Paul is making a request to Philemon about Onesimus. And so that's basically it, what the whole letter's about. So have you ever thought to yourself, I've got to talk to someone about something, I've got to ask them a favour and thought, I will butter them up first. First of all, I'm going to set it all up and then when I ask them, they won't be able to say no, basically, because they'll owe me so much. So that's a little bit of what Paul does here. Not really, because Paul's not that sort of a guy. But what he does before he makes his request before he does that, is he sets up the conditions under which he's making the request. So first of all, he does that. And the first thing he does is he says that what, he, what this request that he's going to make, he's not going to make it as Paul the Apostle, as Paul who has this great authority. He's going to make this request on the basis of love. He doesn't make the request as the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, there are places in the other letters when he says, hey, look at me, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. He says, hey, I'm an old man. I'm just like you, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. And that ba- on that basis, on the basis of love, I'm making this request. I'm asking you to act out of love. And John 15 tells us to love because Jesus loves us. Paul tells us in Corinthians that Christ's love is what compels him. That should be what compels us. One John says that we love because Christ first loved us. That's his first step towards us. Ephesians encourages us to bear with one another in love and walk the way of love. And so on and so on and so on. You can't, you can hardly open a book where it doesn't say that God is love, Jesus is love. Everything that does is based on his love. Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only son. Act out of love. So he says, I'm not telling you, you have to do this. I'm saying, asking you to act out of love. But he also makes it clear that he is giving Philemon a choice. He is free to choose how he responds to this request. It's clear from verse 12 that Paul is very, very fond of Onesimus. He says, he's my heart. So he's got a very close and warm relationship with Onesimus, and he could have managed this situation. He's in relationship with a runaway slave. Back then, there were ways that he could manage that situation where he could have legally kept Onesimus, but he doesn't do that. Even though he's so important to him, he chooses to send Onesimus back to Philemon because that gives Philemon the choice to do not only what he thinks should be done on the basis of love, but to do it freely. No constraint. The text says it would be voluntary. This is something you, you will do voluntarily. No coercion. And we're similarly free. Christ has set us free for freedom. We're free to make whatever choices we want. I think that what's understood here is that when we see and experience the love of God that he has communicated to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus and when we live our lives on the basis of that love and in the strength of Holy Spirit love, we don't have to be coerced into loving choices. We always need the Holy Spirit to be loving and we may need wise counsel on the most loving thing to do. But we should never need to be coerced because our response to God's love should always be to act in love. And then he makes his request. And it's a huge request. It's a huge request because what it involves is Philemon forgiving Onesimus, what is the sin and offense against him And we know that he's run away, so he's done that to start with. We're not sure what else he may have done. And reconcile with him. Not just, yeah, all right, you can come back, but reconcile with him as a brother, as a family member. They They have absolutely nothing in common. Nothing that ties them together. No good reason why Philemon should have to do any of this. They're not in the same family. They're not bound by ethnicity. They don't have any socioeconomic status uh, equality. And Philemon, under the law, would have every right to punish Onesimus for what he'd done. In fact, if he doesn't punish us, if he acts outside of what would be a normal punishment, he will draw the criticism of his peers and contemporaries and the people that are equal. And whatever costs, Paul says he'll pay them. Whatever it's cost you. If it's cost you something financial, I'm good for it, says Paul. We hear some. We might hear a, a, uh, an echo of when Ro- Paul says in Romans, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. But this is so much more than accept. You know when someone says just accept it, they're usually thinking to themselves, just put up with it. Just bear with it. Don't, you know, don't fight it. That's not what Paul meant here in Romans, accept one another. But what he, did, what he does do is make it even richer and fuller here in Philemon. In Romans, we might think to ourselves, all right, yeah, I'll accept everybody around me. You look round, yep, okay. But here it is, open your arms wide. Put your arms around him. See him as a family member. Be reconciled. Be much more than just someone that's be together in family together. Now this request would have been so challenging, as indeed the message of the gospel is. The message of the gospel challenges social hierarchies. It prefers spiritual over familial relationships. It binds people together that have absolutely nothing in common and no reason whatsoever to relate together. The gospel announces reconciliation between God and sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, because of that death and resurrection, that we have peace with God, that we are able to have peace with others, whoever they are. Absolutely, doesn't matter who it is, we can be reconciled to other people. We sang for a month Christmas carols that talked about peace on earth. What do you think that means to sing about peace on earth? It's a peace that flows when God and sinners are reconciled. If you're reconciled, you can experience that peace of the present of the future in the present in your reconciliation that comes through the gospel of Christ. So in this letter, we have a very countercultural request to Philemon from Paul. But importantly, a request that's delivered with a reminder that it should be considered on the basis of love, and emphasising that there is complete freedom when responding to this request. Your response will be voluntary. You will not be coerced. It's a little letter. It doesn't just have a lasting lesson, it's got a very large lesson. So how do we apply this? Oh well, we should just always forgive everybody and reconcile. All right. And that's a good application, but how are you going to do that tomorrow, today? Let's have a little look at Philemon and how he might have responded. Because sometimes we're the one that needs to forgive. Sometimes we're the Philemon. Someone has sinned against us. Someone has done something that offends us. Perhaps we're in a position of power, like Philemon was in his position of power. Perhaps we have no power at all and we aren't, but someone has still sinned against us. But we have a choice on the basis of love about whether we forgive. It's a free choice. But I do think the cultural circumstances are different now to what they were then. One of the most common objections that I hear to forgiveness, besides how hard it is, and I want to tell you that forgiving is really hard. If it's really worth forgiving, it's really hard to forgive. If it's really hurt you besides that objection, is that people think that if they forgive, they're saying that what the other person did was okay. You think of the apologies that sometimes you give them, sometimes you hear them, oh, I'm sorry I did that, that's okay, that's fine, forget it. Oh, look, I'm really sorry that that I did this. Yeah, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter. But the thing is, if someone needs to apologise, then it does matter. If someone sinned against you, then it's kind of not okay if they've sinned against you. If they need to be forgiven, not okay. When God forgives, he doesn't say that our sin and our rebellion are okay. They're not. He said they're so not okay, your sin and rebellion, that I sent Jesus to deal with your sin and rebellion. That huge cost I had to pay. It is not okay that you're sinning. It is not okay that you're rebelling, but when you come to me and you ask for forgiveness because of Jesus, I freely and lovingly give it to you. So it is not okay if someone owes you an apology to dismiss it if, if, you, if, someone, if you, um, someone needs to forgive you. So if you need to forgive. So there may still be consequences for the other person. Sometimes there should be consequences for what other people do. But that's not your problem. Your problem is on the basis of love. When you're Philemon, on the basis of love and freely, because of what Jesus has done for you, you're called to forgive that person and, if possible, to seek reconciliation because you can leave the rest in the hands of the Lord. So I forgive freely because Christ has forgiven me. And then sometimes we're Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about us being Christ's ambassadors, that we have the message of reconciliation. Once we regarded Christ as no one, but now we regard him as our savior, as the one able to bring us reconciliation with God. And we are now ambassadors of that amazing news, that amazing offer of reconciliation with him to other people. Now, he'd already seen Philemon and Onesimus be reconciled to God through his ministry. Now he's encouraging them to be reconciled to each other. He continues to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And this is a role we all have. As if God makes his appeal through us. Every single person that's accepted what Jesus has done now has the role almost to say I need now to bring that amazing I need to be an ambassador of that to other people I need to tell everybody I can appropriately who Jesus is and as others we encourage not just people to come and be reconciled to God but hey you people sitting here you be reconciled to each other as well and sometimes we need to be poor and we need to do that do you do that for other people not just the people you know who aren't believers But what about the people you know who aren't getting on? Or who have something against each other? We have that message of reconciliation. And do you have a Paul in your life? Do you need a Paul? Do you need to go to someone and say, I trust you? You are a mature Christian. I have trouble forgiving this person. Or I have done this and I wanna make it right. Can you help me? And Paul, what would Paul say? I am in. Do you have someone like that in your life? You can read the scriptures because mostly it's all in the scriptures. But to have someone there coaching you is a wonderful thing. And then sometimes we're onisimous because sometimes we need forgiveness. Sometimes we've done a wrong thing and we sin against others. And even if we can explain it, we can defend it, we can give all the reasons why we've done it and they sound great, if we've sinned against another, we've sinned against another. It doesn't matter why we did it and we might need help with why we did it but we still did it and so it's still a sin. It's still something that they have against us and we might need forgiveness and so we need to take responsibility for that to repent and confess and where possible to seek reconciliation and by even saying to Paul yes I'll take the risk of going back to someone I don't know how Philemon's going to uh, treat me when I get there but I will take the risk of seeking reconciliation with him. I've confessed my sin and I'm ready to go back. And we see that Jesus plays a very high um, value on reconciliation. He says, before you even come to the altar, before you gather together to worship and to uh, celebrate what I've done for you on the cross, before you do that, if, you, if anyone's got anything against you, go and be reconciled. That's how important reconciliation and us getting on together as brothers and sisters is. So at various times, we're Paul, Onesimus or Philemon and sometimes we're a little bit of everything. Sometimes we uh, need to forgive as we need to be forgiven in the same relationship. Sometimes we might be helping the other person. We're a little bit of everything, but we all are people who should see that that's what God has called us to do. And, of course, there are times when the other person involved or people involved don't want to reconcile. They don't want to hear apologies. Perhaps they're not Christian. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. They don't want to forgive. They don't want to ask forgiveness. Sometimes, for some people, it's not safe for them to be in even a relationship with that person. But the freedom that we have is to forgive anyway, even when the other person is not willing to ask for forgiveness, is not willing to acknowledge what they've done. And similarly, if we can apologise, we should apologise. If we can't, we can't. But what did Paul say to us in Romans? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you're only asked to do your best. No more than that. Not to put you in circumstances that are so appalling. If you've got a Paul in your life, a Paul in your life will help you make a decision with the Holy Spirit about how appropriate is it that I return to this person or speak to this person. But just sitting around here, there's a lot that we could do. We just do our best. But I have one more question before we leave this passage. If I'm saying that there's a future hope and peace that we can bring into the present by acknowledging what Jesus has done for us, and by experiencing the peace and reconciliation with other people around me, which means that I bring some of that peace of relationship into the present, is that only for Christians? Is it only Christians that can do that? Can I be a bringer of peace and reconciliation in my workplace or in my school where I'm not even allowed to say the name of Jesus? Well, yes I can. And I have two stories, and um, I've got permission to share these stories. They're de-identified, but I've got permission and they've read what I'm going to say. So this is their accurate application. I've got two stories, one from a uh, person that was in a position of power, the other from a person that was in not, had no power in their organisation. These are publicly funded organisations with robust systems and processes. So they're big and they've got systems and processes in place. My first friend was on a panel interviewing people for a promotion. She asked me for support because she recognised that she didn't have a very good relationship with one of the applicants. She believed that everyone's equally valued and loved by Jesus, whether they acknowledge it or not, that everyone's someone's friend or family member. And she said, when I'm in conflict, I'm tempted to see the other person as the enemy, but I have to prepare myself to see them as Jesus sees them. So over months, and this this hiring process took months. She prayed, she kept in step with the spirit, she constantly sought to forgive and to seek God with everything, and so when the process was finally complete, she said this, the power I had in this situation wasn't really mine, it was delegated and based on my role. What's impressive when you have institutional power is balancing that power with humility before Jesus. Impressive in the sense that it's challenging. It tests us, it centers on relationship. When I didn't feel great affection for that person, the one I was trying to reconcile with, I focused on the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Then I made decisions out of a place of love, which left me free to make the best and fairest decisions I could for my organisation. Even if this decision didn't go in favour of the applicant, which it didn't. So for me to quote that is to me just powerful enough. But a month or so later, she reported that she was just surprised, delighted and could hardly believe it when that applicant returned to work in their former role and approached her with an apology for the way that she had conducted herself during the interview and asked if they could start again. And what did that do? A more peaceful relationship, a more peaceful workplace. And so bringing something of the future into the present just by prayer and persistence. And for the other one, not in a position of power. She got a dream job, this was it been looking for it forever, but found herself within the hierarchy of the organisation frustrated in her ability to do it because her immediate manager and the one above put limitations on the the projects that she wanted to uh, put into place. Her attempts to negotiate with her manager and director weren't successful in terms of her goals for her job and the relationships just deteriorated. Over the next few months, She sought to deliberately put God in the centre of those relationships. She still maintained that she was being frustrated. She didn't say, oh, it doesn't matter, because it did matter, but she concentrated on the relationships. She did not have any institutional power, but she did have the power to choose to walk in forgiveness, not to talk negatively with other staff and gossip and to see her managers as people, possibly people doing their best as well. It wasn't always easy, and in the end, the outcome wasn't the outcome. It wasn't her desired outcome, because she did end up choosing to resign. But she's able to say this, and this is her quote. I've been learning the balance of bringing God's incredible and selfless love with holding confidence and respect for myself, although still disappointed with the outcome. God's love and power is in relationships, And I get to choose how to represent his love and power in every interaction. Isn't it amazing to finish six months of conflict and be able to say that? And though she left that workplace, what does she take into her next workplace? She takes that God meets you. She takes that when you put him first in these things, he's there. It's hard. It's not easy. That's why we need Pauls and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just two stories, but I could tell you more. The point is that wherever we are, God calls us there at that point to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We have our own hope for outcomes, and that's okay. I've got my hope for outcomes. You've got outcomes that you are going to hope they are going to happen in 2024. Just hold them loosely. You hold them loosely. Because in the future, that's your future hope. That's the best outcome. So where does the rubber hit the road for you in 2024? Are you at peace with all your Christian brothers and sisters? How do you go in your workplace, school or home? Are you an ambassador of the gospel of reconciliation available in Jesus, even if you can't say his name? Do you forgive as God has forgiven you? Do you take responsibility for your own wrongdoing And ask forgiveness when you're in the wrong. These questions aren't about guilting or shaming anybody. Because our godly guilt leads to repentance. That's what the scripture tells us. It's good to say, hey, no, I don't. Great. In Jesus, I can just repent of that and he forgives me. That they're about recognising these questions that the new creation will be a place free from sin and from the death and the mourning and the crying and the pain and the broken relationships that flow from sin and although we're not there yet though we can be in the midst of the chaos of the world we can experience some of that peace when we live on the basis of love the love that Jesus has extended to us, the love that God has extended to us by sending his son and freely choose in the power of the spirit to live the way he calls us to live, wherever we are. We're going to sing a song now and it celebrates the freedom that we have in Christ. He's chosen us. See, he says, I love you so much. I've chosen you. Here you are, sitting here today. Uh, If you don't know Jesus today... I'm telling you as an ambassador of reconciliation that he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to be reconciled with him. He can give you peace. And if you are already a Christian, he says, I can take you forward. I can give you the vision of that future hope and I can bring it into the present. He's freed us from our sin. And so we're free to choose, we're free to choose to live on the basis of love. We are who he says we are. Whatever he says about us, that's who we are. We're forgiven, so we're free to forgive. We're reconciled to God, and so we're free to reconcile to others. See, that's a blessed assurance today. As you sing this next song, you just think, yes. I'm who he says I am. I'm all those things in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I'll leave you with this line, which is the last line. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.